Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm David Michael, and this is the Passionate DJ Podcast. Today's episode is very special to me personally. I'm bringing on a special guest co-host today. He's one of my very best friends. His name is Tommy, and he's uh, been a friend of mine for a very long time. We've talked about him on the show once or twice, or at least I have. He's got a lot of his record collections stored here at my house because he is a semi-retired hobbyist type of DJ and uh, doesn't currently have a set of turntables, and so I've been holding on to his record collection for a while. And because he and I share a lot of similar musical tastes, it's been quite an opportunity for me to have you know, a lot of these gems that are in Tommy's record collection at my disposal to be able to play them, explore them. Uh, there are a lot of classics in there. There are a lot of unknown tracks. You know, it was just stuff that he liked from 15 plus years ago. And it's kind of nice to have that looking glass into somebody else's musical tastes and what they were into as a DJ. And I've really enjoyed that opportunity and holding on to these records. And uh, Tommy and I, 10 years ago or so, used to play house gigs locally in Dayton, Ohio. And it was kind of a uh, foray back into DJing for him. And so I wanted to just ask him about what he thought about modern DJing versus this straight-up analog turntable DJing that he got into at the beginning of the 2000s. And also what he thinks about the current state of house music and techno. And specifically, we dive into that classic progressive house and trance sound from the end of the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s. We're talking that Sasha and Digweed sound that's so just perfectly matched and, you know, other similar, you know, platypus records and huge tunes and other names that you hear us mention on the podcast all the time. Tommy's taught me a lot about that kind of sound and had a huge influence on me when it comes to that type of music. Progressive house, progressive trance, and what he calls the bedrock era, because it all kind of centers around John Digweed and the bedrock label and the bedrock albums, as well as a few others. So Tommy brings in a couple of his favorite mixes, and what you're going to hear is basically just a raw recording of he and I playing bits of these mixes and playing parts of songs and just listening to them and having a little bit of commentary. You know, Tommy and I are some of the best friends in the world, and so you're going to hear us just kind of banter back and forth, and you're basically sitting in on a conversation of two people who enjoy the same kind of music, and we get to hear his perspective on what that music was and what it is now and what does it for him. And so I'm really honored to have been able to share the microphone with my buddy today, Trip. Tony and Mo, I miss you guys, and I uh, look forward to recording with you guys again, but thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to let me record this little side episode that I've been thinking about for a number of years now. So one quick note before we proceed into the main part of the show, as is custom when I try to record without my talented audio engineer, Trip Turlington, I managed to screw up part of the recording, and so... You're going to hear some anomalies in this recording, and I apologize to Tommy when he listens to this, that uh, basically what happened was I accidentally deleted his entire vocal track, and so I had to recover the sound from a more distant microphone. And so what you're hearing is sort of a boosted, processed, noise-reduced 
version of his vocal track. So if it sounds like he's sitting a little far away from Mike, uh, that's technically because he is, but it's not his fault. So I think the lesson to be learned here is that I need to stop setting up random makeshift recording stations without Trip Turlington watching my back. So, But that being said, uh, coming up pretty soon, we're going to be having an episode called 10 Years Ago. Basically, this is just an idea I had where we're going to reverse the clock by 10 years. So we're going to go take a look at 2007 and just kind of explore that year in music and DJing and see what was going on at the time, um, explore the different charts and you know, just the musical stylings of the time. Just have a little fun with that. We also have our exclusive Halloween episode coming up at the request of Trip Turlington. This is going to be a Halloween version of our pick three episodes that you guys like so much. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, We're not even sure 100% what we're doing with that, but uh, I think we're all excited about it. So look forward to that stuff coming out. And uh, now moving on to a conversation about... Digging for Bedrock. And I'm sitting with uh, one of my very best friends in the world. How you doing, buddy? Doing okay. So uh, this is my, my good friend Tommy, and you've this is your first time on the podcast, but not the first time you've been talked about on the podcast. This is the guy that uh, whenever I say half my rec- record collection belongs to somebody else, this is the guy. So, <laughs> so you have somewhat of a legacy on the show. So today I wanted to kind of talk about that classic progressive house sound that bedrock platypus huge type sound that we bring up on the show all the time but the reason i want to bring you on here to talk about this is a because all the records that i have that belong to you and a lot of them are oriented around that sound and b you've kind of intentionally or otherwise kind of taught me a lot about that sound and had influence on me as a dj and just like in my musical taste when it comes to that classic prog sound and so i thought it would be really cool to just bring you on and kind of chat about that style of music and maybe bring some tunes in and talk about uh just some of the best parts of that era of music absolutely so um you've brought some some uh, mixes in to play yes i have four particular ones that uh i thought would be good to talk about okay so before we get into that uh can you just tell us like a little bit about your history as a DJ? I guess, would you say that you're a retired DJ, hobbyist? Where, where do you put yourself? Very, very retired, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> <laughs> you tried to be Much to my chagrin, right? I think you play out many times, and yeah, I yeah, just... Um, yeah, without getting into all, all that stuff, as, as far as uh, why I retired or, or whatnot. Um, history... Uh, it really starts with the music, and it really starts with this music. You know, since I was a kid back in the late 80s, I'd always had a thing for electronic music. I used to have a Yamaha keyboards and mm. always turn on, you know, choose the synth leads and play my own songs and stuff like that. And then in the mid-90s, I discovered that this was an actual genre. This was an actual thing. People were actually making this type of music. Um, obviously, it was very underground um, I think the first album that I ever listened to that could be classified as electronic was one by a group called Radioactive Goldfish. Uh, I mean, I know we're, I think it was circa 1993, so we're reaching oh, way back. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then I, I didn't have much experience with anything else until I would say 97 or 98. Um, I met a guy who 
went to, I think, University of Iowa and hung out with him. Uh, we met on a, met a bulletin board, messaging uh, bulletin board. And he, he played me some, um, I guess you would call it Big Beat, Massive Attack, uh, Meat Beat Manifesto, that kind of thing. Okay. So that's when I really started to step back into this sort of thing as far as what I was discovering. Um, Fat Boy Slim was, was probably the next big big album that I got that I really enjoyed. And in this time in my life, I, I, I really started uh, spending a lot of time in nightclubs. Hmm. So I was you know discovering it there. But my actual discovery of the, the Bedrock, literally Bedrock, like the album Bedrock... Um, came in early 2000. I, I was hanging out with a group of folks and, and uh, they had this song or this album playing and I was just like, what is this? Because <laughs> this was a little bit unlike anything I had heard prior. You know, most of the, at the time, it was just club tunes, um, you know, some hard banging stuff, but, but nothing like this before. And, uh, you know, a buddy of mine pulled out a uh, the CD case and showed it to me. And of course it's got the iconic picture of John Digweed just standing there in the silver background and everything. And I'm like, okay, I, I got to get my hands on this. So I asked him for some album recommendations and, um, picked up that along with, uh, Sasha global underground, Sasha Abiza, uh, GU013. Uh, so that was really my entrance into, this this genre of music. So those are pretty good entrance to the, this yeah, kind of music. I, 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 so. I, I mean, it, it, it absolutely cemented and defined my view of electronic music going forward. Um, some, you know, for the most part, what I aimed for in the mixes that I made when I was when I would spin and, and the records I would buy going forward. Yeah. And you were playing on uh, on wax. Back yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Um, yeah, what DJM five hundred or six hundred? DJM five hundred. The six hundred wasn't even out yet. Okay. Um, so yeah, my, had to be one or the other. <laughs> the, so time. the tables. How that happened? How my actual entrance into DJing? Um, I lived with a buddy of mine uh, named Jeremy, and he at the back of that you know we all we all went went clubbing uh, every weekend and, and had a, a large group of, of friends that uh, you know we all hung out with and stuff. And um, it seemed like everybody either was a DJ or wanted to be a DJ. And I mean, you know, we were no different. We, we, I, wanted, I wanted to see, I wanted to, to, to dip my toes in it because I had had a musical background. I was in the band. I had created songs on, on keyboards and stuff like that. So I'm like, you know, I, I bet I could beat match. That, that, that's what I was thinking to myself. <laughs> I would be okay with it. Um, so he came home one day with a DJM 500 and a couple of piece of crap new mark tables that they didn't work very well but the mixer worked great he went out and bought that it was used it was in great condition the tables leave left something to be desired um so uh, a couple weeks later i put an order in and i can't remember the the name of the website a music musician's friend I think, oh yeah for a couple of uh sl 1200 mk mk3ds so so those are the ones that have the, the quartz lock button, right? Yes. Yeah. Instead of the, the detent, the click in the middle. I believe that's correct. It's been so long since I, <laughs> I can't tell you for sure, but I think they do. Yeah. I think they do. And so you kind of took that on as a, as a hobby and then started playing in the, the clubs here locally in Dayton. Well, 
I, I, I think I played in two clubs. I mean, I, don't get you know, don't mistake my retelling of the history. I mean, it, it's I was I was mainly a bedroom hobbyist. I mean, I wanted to get good, but um, the scene at that time I, I was was more on the it was on the downturn. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there were still some local nights. There was a, there was a Tuesday night thing at Night Owl. Um, there was a club called El Diablo. Um, that had some some nights, and uh, I did get in there. I played an open tables night, and the guy that was running it heard me for like thirty seconds at that over ta- open tables, and said, "Hey, I want to get you on the main stage." And so I played I played one Saturday night, and it was it was really great. I mean, the, the crowd response was great, and um, he booked me to come back. Uh, the I think the weekend or the, the a week or two after that, he booked me to come back, and then there was a shooting oh. in the club, and it closed down four months. And it just after that, some personal things came up in my life, and it's kind of lost the momentum. Yeah, I mean, I played. Uh, there was a couple nights I played down at Parallax, which was in the basement of the asylum, and I played a couple house parties. But it was never something that you know that I would say I was. A, I was not a local hero. I was not known. You know, there was there was a handful of folks that that knew who I was and knew what I did, but you know, um, it just never it just never worked out to uh, you know as far as that goes. It's okay. So then, maybe fast forward to like you know two thousand six, two thousand seven, if you don't mind to for a moment, just because that was kind of when we started hanging out and we started playing some gigs out together, some small time yes. you know night owl gigs and stuff like that. Uh, mostly for you know a handful of buddies, and so you kind of got back into it there for a while. Well, you got me back. In. I yeah, that's <laughs> and then I think that's how I eventually ended up with your your records over here, and and so, you know, I still get you to jump on those decks occasionally. Um, what uh, what what does it for you as as a DJ? Like when you're when you're playing, what do you? What are you, what are your goals? Since you're not playing for a crowd, you don't care necessarily about promoting yourself. Because we have a lot of people in our audience who are the exact same way. They're just bedroom DJs, or they sure. record mixes for their own consumption, or whatever. So, what what makes it click for you? It's interesting that you ask me that because I'm going to bring this right back to where we started with okay. regards to John Digweed specifically, uh, the Bedrock album, the earlier Global Underground albums. When I would mix, I, I would I would mix to record, I would record mixes and, and, and shoot to create something, create an album, create a mix album. And my goal was twofold. Number one, laser precision mixing, because that's mm. what I heard. That's what, and, I, and you and I have talked about this, but that's what I heard on these mixes, not realizing at the time that they didn't accomplish that with two turntables and a mixer. There was software. But I didn't know that then, you know. So then, and really up to the point where I, I really stopped uh, playing, except when I would come over to your house. <clears throat> My goal was just the the absolute laser precision of mixing one song into another, because there's numerous numerous mixes in these albums where, unless you know the songs front to back, in and out, you don't know where one starts and any other stops and to me that was that was the most fascinating musically you know that was the most fascinating element of dj mixing was 
the flawless transition from one song to another. Um, the other thing was just on these albums, particularly the ones that, that uh, I've brought examples of, um, the flow, you know, the 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 story that's told, the way that it, you know it starts out and then builds and then you know, ends up somewhere. Right, the journey. Um, I would I would always try and emulate that, and I think a lot of times just because of my OCD tendencies. Um, I mean, I know everybody's like that. I know you're like this. We've talked about this, but um, I, I would become so overly critical about what I would mm. do, and I would I would literally critique myself into a corner where I just didn't want to do it. And I think that's probably the best explanation of what happened as far as why I stopped and why I only will do it recreationally when I come and hang out. So in 2007-ish, when you and I started playing out and I went from knowing you as Tommy to knowing Gunner, the DJ, um, and we started kind of doing tag sets and stuff like that. And there was a you know a time break there where you hadn't really done anything and then by the time you came back to it things like tractor and sync and yes. stuff and controllers had come out and you know I, I had uh, some some of that stuff going on you know digital dj setup and i showed it to you and you had some reservations about it but also were, i think were, you were kind of fascinated by it what, what was your in your words what was your impression of that that whole digital djing approach um, it was. It was fascinating to, to see, especially how Tracker, I mean, you know, Tracker's really the only one I have hands-on experience with. I've seen some of the other ones. But to look at a song as a waveform on mm. a computer screen instead of a, a literal vinyl platter, you know, and, 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 and manipulating it that way. Um, I mean, it was neat, and it, it, it took a while for me to translate what I was used to doing into, you know, manipulating and controlling things on the laptop. Obviously, so, uh, I was just going to say, I, I remember a particular moment where I, I think it was in, in the garage, and we were playing something on Tractor, and you, there we had had a conversation where you were like, this digital DJing thing is cool, but I'm, it's, it's kind of boring. Like, I'm just, I'm bored with it. What do I do with all this time? But then... You know, later you came back and you were like, that laser precise mixing that is capable with Tractor is also super duper appealing because of what you said. That's what musically, that's what you appreciate and enjoy. So that's got, that's an interesting uh, dichotomy, I guess. It was, I mean, from the standpoint of, you know, if I, if I decided right now that I wanted to create the the mix of a lifetime the mix that defined me who i you know who i envisioned myself as a dj and really uh, made a statement about where i came from musically i would absolutely use software mm. because you know because of that the ability to make those um those laser accurate transitions you're creating something for posterity correct. you want it to be correct that yeah. being said um it is not as fun. It is not as enjoyable. It is not for me. It, it is not uh, the, at all the same experience as playing on turntables. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just even even if it's not to a crowd, it's much more enjoyable for me to mix together two records. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of political opinions about this in, in the DJ crowd about you know. Trying to think, I've cheating. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, don't call yourself a DJ unless you can mix to, you know, records and, and all that stuff. And, and I'm not going to set foot in all that. I'm talking strictly for myself. Hmm. It's just the gigs that you and I play, you know, the, the Night Owl stuff and then later Revive and stuff like that. Um, I enjoyed the experience of it. I enjoyed playing for the crowds and whatnot. Um, but it's definitely not the same yeah. as playing on, on, on two turntables. It's just not. It's not as fun. Does it have something to do with that, uh, whatever you want, the little dopamine hit that you get from from getting that mix locked in and, and then hearing it come off a little bit and fixing it before anybody notices? Well, and yeah, I mean, more so for me, it's, it's, it's being able to lock it in. And, you know, and that was the other thing that I brought from, I think, from those, uh, you know, the, the, the digweed mixes and the Sasha mixes that I grew up on. Um, mm. That's what I that's what I thought mixes were supposed to be in my head long. I mean, mm. we're talking, you know, two to three minute transitions. And as I, I mean, as you know, maintaining a, a beat match, you know, on on uh, turntables for two to three minutes is it, it's work. <laughs> so it takes some work. It takes some, you know, it takes some uh, practice. Um, but that's how I that's how I thought it was supposed to be. That's what I thought, you know. That's what I thought the real pros did. Mm. You know, my heroes, you know, Sasha and John Digweed and. And Nick Muir and, and all those guys, Danny Teneglia, you know, that's what they did. I mean, or that's what I thought they did, you know, listening to these albums. So. Well, let's let's hear some examples um, of, of what your heroes did or, or do. Now, that's an interesting point before we move on. Do you still follow any of these artists? I've tried. I will say that I've tried. Um, and and this, is, this is a tough topic for me it, it, because... It, I mean, you go wherever you're comfortable going. Well, it, it just is because, you know, Digweed was such a tremendous force musically in my, in my uh, experience, my EDM experience. You know, for crying out loud, I have a movie, you know, Groove. He was, he mm. was, he was in Groove, and, and that's a movie that I still bust out and watch every now and again. I have tried over and over again to listen to his modern work, uh, his, both his DJ sets and his compositions, and they just... They don't do much for me. Um, I don't know if, if I don't know if he's grown out of of that, or if I've grown out, grown up from you know, just grown out of him, or how how you would explain it. But you know, it's just not something that uh, that I can. I just don't feel it anymore. Sasha is a, he's he he maintains a little bit more musicality, a little bit mm-hmm. more of that darkness um, that that I loved. The set that he played at Mask that you that you opened for <clears throat> was tremendous. Mm. I really enjoyed that. But outside of that, I pretty much just re-listened to all those all the old mixes that I have. Well, let's do it. Let's uh, let's see what what you're talking about. So, what's your first mix that you've brought in that you'd like to to show some examples here? Well, the first album is Bedrock. It is the album Bedrock. It's the first one. It's appropriate. And then the first track is Listen by Raffin' Freddy. That's such a good song. It is a fantastic song. I always like to describe it um, or think about it as like you're in a a, a crazy, dirty lounge (laughs) in some other reality. Like it's not, you know, it's some dark and twisted nightmare reality. It's... uh, 
It's just so different. But you and I have talked before um, about this and, and how we both agree that, especially for this time, uh, this song kind of encapsulates the definition of progressive house. Absolutely. You, you know, you introduced this song to me back in the day, and you know, we eventually went out and actually bought sealed copies of this um, on wax. But it's it's one of those it's it's the song to me that really defines or really matches up with the term progressive house. I mean, it's it's undeniably house, and I think once the vocals and the beat, the kind of slightly shuffly beat comes in, you know, our listeners agree it's it's very housey, but there's it's different, Absolutely. you know, and it's progressive house is one of those terms that's been really hard to define, and it's meant a lot of things, and this song is like, oh, oh, that's what progressive house is, you know, it's it's so it's dark and yet it's uplifting, and it's a weird combination that few people other than Sasha and Digweed have nailed, I think. Just <laughs> those minor, those minor chords. Like I said, it's very loungy, um, housey, you know, lounge house, uh, deep house-ish, but, but there's something off. Yeah. It's just, it's almost like there's just something, there's just a, a dark tinge to it. That, that gives it a color, gives it yeah. a flavor that really sets it apart from so, so much other stuff of the time. You know, it's funny, you mentioned the word loungy, and that's there, but it's, but it's also relentlessly dancey. Like, it's not loungy as in low energy. I think I, I was thinking of it in terms of more, not so much of a genre as a, as a, as a place. Right, right. Like, and this song has always done that for me. It's like it's always I've always imagined just walking into some some dark lounge loungy bar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But in like I said, in, in some other universe, some other reality, almost. Those airy scents and. Also, one funny note about this song, and, and I'm probably going to ruin it for you and everybody else that's listening to it once I tell you this, because it, I didn't start noticing it until a couple years ago, but there's like that, this the chime noise. Yeah. And it is there from start to finish, and like once you start focusing on it, you can't unhear it. It's, it's there the whole time. Like, damn it! I just want to listen to the rest of the song. No, now you're gonna hear that the entire time. Okay, we'll move it ahead just a little bit to where we. Nailed it. I was, I was accurate. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, I mean, this is, you know, the, the, the vocals are very diva. Giving it that house feel, but not, you know, it's just different. Yeah, it's like the only disco-y part besides the 4-4 beat. 
and the rest is kind of something else. I, I think a lot of that has to do with just the minor, the, the minor chords and the minor strings. Yeah. The, the pervasiveness of that throughout the track is like, you know, you take the the uplifting elements of, of the disco house and and stuff at the time, the the major uh, chord resolutions and things like that, take it completely out and just you know darken things up, and that's what you have here. This song is almost like a DJ set in itself, in that sort of journey way. Like it starts so minimalistic and takes its precious time getting where it's going, but then once it's there, it's this big event. It's it's uplifting, it's big and, and dancey, and then it just walks away, you know? There's also an organic element to this song in particular, but there's a number of songs on this mix that I would use that same term, so I, I, mm. I apologize in advance, but if I overuse the term... There's different, definitely a different quality to production of this era. I'm not even sure what the technical term would be for the instrumentation that I, I want to point out. And there's so many of those yes. little elements. Those little like bubbles and blurbles. Little stabs and yes. yeah. It absolutely gives this song its soul. As we move towards the end of this song and the beginning of the transition where he brings in The Sky Is Not Crying, the second track. This is where I really want to point out, you know, the, the inspiration for me as far as, you know, like I was talking about earlier, the, the laser accurate mixing and the long mixing. Because I think this transition lasts close to two minutes, like when you can really start to identify the second track coming in, which we're getting close here. And then when we can uh, definitively identify this bass line Mm. as disappearing. Alright, I'm going to move it up just a few seconds here. Okay, at this point there's there's a hi-hat in here. You can hear it and, and some other stuff going on. There we go. Yeah, it comes in. I probably skipped a little too far ahead. But, but you still hear the bass line from Listen. Hundred percent into the second track, but the listen bass line is still very identifiable. And it's worth it's worth pointing out that not only is this a harmonic mix, but the bass lines of both tunes are very very close. Yeah, it's hard to tell when the handover actually happens. There's got to be some really subtle low EQ work there to make that happen. And. The difference in the two bass lines, the, the Raph and Freddie bass line, dun, 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 whereas this bass line is just... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't have the chord change there. I 
we're completely out of it. So now it's just a now it's just a driving. It's the benefits of harmonic mixing, man. That you can get away with murder. <laughs> My opinion is this is this is a fantastic choice for a second track. Um, it does it does not have the energy of the first tune. It's in my opinion it, it, it's a little bit of a transition tune, but it's one of these tunes where it's it's definitely part of the journey with with all the musical effects and again that that organic element that the, the sweeping sounds that come over the the, mm. the tune. There's some sounds in this song that remind me of Dirty Vegas. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. The yeah, days never, go by. I've never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. We can talk about that later. Too, okay. Because there's some interesting facts about that song in particularly. In particularly. In particular. All right, I'm going to move this up closer to the transition into the third song, which is my favorite song of the entire mix. Uh, it's it's a mix of the song Moody by BPT, and actually this is this this is this timing is perfect because these sound effects that are going on right now, um, they're close to what I would describe as the definitive the definitive sound of this third song that's coming in. Okay. Um, I never know what terminology to use for some of these sounds that I hear. It's it. I just always is a, I've always called it the sound. It's a, it's a repeating effect. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a repeating effect that that in my opinion is what injects the idea of trance into this. Okay. I'm going to move up to where this is, this stuff's going to start. And it actually, if I remember correctly, the, the transition of this song starts with that sound coming in, just creeping in just a little bit. And this is also another really, really, really long transition. <laughs> it's very long. about hearing it's kind of a the property of this kind of music anyway but there's something about hearing a particular sound that grabs your attention and repeats at a predictable pace right, right. Uh, especially if you're if you're in a nightclub or you're on a dance floor and you're you're kind of being hypnotized by that beat anyway and and you know you might be on whatever you're on if, at the time especially in this era you know sure. 
and just hearing those kind of repeat sounds and just kind of getting that Pied Piper effect, you know? And, and, and that is, I mean, it's a literal definition of trance. You yeah. Know? Um, you know, trance is so many people think of it, in my opinion, it has little to do with the concept of an actual trance. Is this stuff? Mm, absolutely. Is, is, it's definitive, in my opinion. So tribal too. Yes. You got, you got the, the tribal drum beats here. Um, it actually takes a minute. Now we are in the third song, and it takes a minute for that sound to return, and it it's like it's sitting between those two the, the, the two uh, the two drum drum heads that don't bump. And as the song continues, it'll it just more layers are added in is how they do it. Yeah. I'm gonna move it forward just a little bit here. And there's kind of that buzzing that they add. Yeah. This is one of those songs, David, that you just, you put on the best sound system that you have <laughs> and you crank it up as loud as you can, you just, you just let it get into your ears. Okay, there is a definitive point coming up where the sound overtakes and comes in and it, may, it, it makes no bones about what it's doing. It's, it's gonna come and grab you and that's exactly what it does. Too. Yeah, it's just so trippy. It just. It's subtle and not at the same time. It's hard to describe. If you can just picture it, you know, the, the dark nightclub and the, the booming, powerful system, and you're there dancing. I mean, this is just. This is trance. This puts you in a trance. If I'm not careful, we'll just sit here and listen to the whole mix. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, back off a little bit from the indulgence, maybe. Um, but honestly, those those three tracks, I mean, the rest of this is disc one, and the rest of disc one is just as great. Um, continues the journey that this started by these three tracks. But these three tracks in, in particular for me, um, you know, taken as a slice, mm -hmm. really 
kind of says it all. It does, and, and it, it, it absolutely establishes and defines um, really my, my own personal for myself definition of, of DJing and, and what I was trying to accomplish mm. and, and where I wanted to go, you know, with the stuff that I did. Okay, so Bedrock by John Digweed. That's a pretty damn good introduction. Where are you going to take us from there? <laughs> well, and I do have to say, I mean, if I had to pick one album, one uh, album of that era to take with me that is the only album I could ever listen to again, I would crown as my absolute favorite. It would be that one. That's your, your Desert Island album. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Um, the second one would be, it would be a close tie between Sasha's uh, Ibiza mix in Global Underground, which is GU-013, um, and Digweed's Los Angeles uh, mix, which I believe is GU-019. Um, in fact, I, I'd almost say Digweed's Los Angeles mix uh, would, would have second place on the lock, but, but there's so much that Sasha does in this album. Um, it's it's definitely more melodic. It's it's mm. more trancey. If you use trance, the term trance in the way that they did back then, this is what mid or late nineties trancey, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Both albums, both this and the Bedrock album, came out in uh, nineteen ninety nine. Okay. Um, the 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 Los Angeles Digweed album came out in two thousand one. So there's definitely, mm. um, and you can definitely tell the difference, the shift. Um, to a more to, to a more techier, darker sound mm. uh, between those two eras. But the one thing I wanted to point out on Sasha's album that, that we're talking about here, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about those uh, laser sharp mixes. This is probably the most, uh, in my opinion, the most impressive mix between two songs I've ever heard. Um, just because that it, it, it's a melodic mix, uh, but these two songs couldn't possibly fit together better. There were never two songs by two different artists that just came together more perfectly. I mean, it, it really does. It really does. So where are you, are you going to start? Is that the transition or are you going to play? How do you want to do it? I'm going to start at the beginning of the first song and then I'll move towards the transition. Okay. This was an extremely popular song. Uh, I believe it came out in 1998 called um, Stage One. Yeah, Stage One is the title by Space Maneuvers. Oh, right. Also Quiver. Um, and now the guy's last name is... Uh, Graham. John. Is it John Graham? Okay. So to anyone um, that was a big Sasha fan back in the late 90s, they're probably very familiar with the song. I'm going to move this up to where it actually isn't too far into the side. That's another thing. This is an extremely long transition. Um, I'm going to move this up to where song two which comes in, which is, I should know this, I'm terrible with names. Sacred by Sandra Kleinenberg. Mm. And I did know that some, somewhere. It just <laughs> oh, I remember this. 
I have a number of old transmixes from this time that has some variation of this. There was a Marcus Schultz mix of this song mm. that was very popular and put in a lot of the transmixes of, of the era. Such big analog synth sound, man. Okay, so... This is actually where the transition starts. That, that voice sample? Yeah. That's from Sacred. <laughs> you do hear some like some of the canceling out on the uh, percussion a little bit, but this is this is definitely both songs being played at the same time. Okay. interesting is, is as the song continues, uh, the, as the stage one continues, it gets to a break where he backs the, uh, the Sander Kleinenberg tune out and then brings it right back in. God, I miss that sound. Just a little bit because it's about it's gonna it's gonna take a little bit of, a little break. Here it is right there. Okay, then he brings it back in. Here's where things really get moving. That synth lead coming in. <laughs> yep. I miss that that subtlety like and I know it's almost weird to talk to say the word subtlety with trance because few people associate that with trance anymore but back then it was it was let's see what I can sneak in here and get you feeling the feels without you noticing until it's too late you know sacred here. I, I, I cannot stress enough. I've gone back and I've listened to this particular transition so many times. Um, it's at least three minutes long. At least <laughs> three minutes long. It's like, dude, this this is this transition all by itself is a textbook example of what perfection. Mm. I mean, just absolute perfection. And granted, I mean, you got to know what you're doing with the source material. I mean, you know, sure. that's 90% of it. 
but Jesus, I mean, just the way that he fits these two and, and what he does there is, it's still mind-blowing to me. You know, after seven, I, you know, I've, I've had this stuff for 17, 18 years and it just, it's still blows my mind. Well, it's, it's like you said, it's, it, it shows what, it, why it was called trance. You know, it's this, the term made sense then. <laughs> And I, I know we kind of said we were going to center this around Prague House, but uh, you can go ahead and stop that. The okay, um, progressive house and trance, progressive trance really were bedmates. I think then you know what I mean. It was it, that was very different than Raph and Freddie Listen, obviously, but there there was a point in time where they were so interwoven together that it's like what what do I call this? is this a lot of people just started calling it progressive because they didn't know if is this house is this trance well is to some degree to some degree my recollection of the term progressive trance back then um and I mean I, I hate to say this because I could definitely be wrong but but my recollection is the stuff uh that got that got really over the top, cheesy vocally, um, you know, that were basically full on pop songs mm. with an EDM, you know, with an electronic uh, uh, frame, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, those were labeled progressive trance. Uh, progressive house, if, if, if this stuff is progressive house and, and trance as, as uh, it was defined back then, actual real trance, it, especially the Sasha album definitely blurred the lines mm. um, or the, rather the, the songs that he used in that mix. Um, well, I think that was the appeal of, of what Sasha and Digweed did, especially when you put the two of them together. I think that's, that's where this kind of sound really came out and, th- and thrived because I think Digweed brought some of that, that low end grunt and the tribal sounds to the mix. And then Sasha brought in a lot of those, sparkly melodies and, and big synth sounds and stuff and the marrying of those two just created something amazing sounding. Absolutely. It, do you think that's a fair way to put it? It is. And what's interesting about that too and another thing that makes that, that Bedrock album that we talked about first uh, makes it my favorite album of all time and he got he caught some heat for this in some of the reviews mm. that, that I read back in the day is that disc two of that mix it could be a Sasha album. It, <laughs> it was he. He took a lot of what he would do, you know, like you said, when they would play together, and he brought that in into the into the second into the second album. I'm gonna just grab a track list here, um, but uh, particularly uh, Voyagers, Time Travel, Sander Collins, Flutter by. I mean, Sander Collins was a was a was a trance, yeah, a big trance name, and she released multiple trance mixes of which I have a few. But but most uh, you know most telling in that is Heaven Sent. <laughs> right. So the, the the interesting thing about Heaven Sent, I think, um, is that there's nothing else Digweed, in my to my knowledge, ever did uh, as far as you know in, in mixes um, other than his compilations with Sasha. 
but his solo his solo mixes, especially under the Bedrock label and and his productions, nothing ever went as trancy as as Heaven Sent. Yeah, you know, and I think you know to to, to put that as the crown jewel of that mix that that album, um, it makes sense to have some trance on disc two disc two to to lead up to it, but. I just remember, you know, um, and actually I did this recently, going back and reading some of the reviews of that album that people wrote, and a, a lot of the themes um, were were similar in that, you know, talking about how Digweed went so trancy on on disc two. Yeah. Um, the next album we're going to look at here, he definitely does not, uh, and, and that is the the Los Angeles album, the Global Underground Oman Nine. Okay, so this album starts actually with a little bit of a, a, a it's definitely not trancy, but it's it's also, I would not call it tech. It's, um, it kind of straddles in between. Uh, this is Apollo vibes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just because of, 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 you know, how ethereal and musical it gets. Um, you know, I would definitely not put this in the same classification as, uh, most of the rest of this mix. What's the full track title? Uh, Apollo Vibes by Pole Folder. Pole Folder. Yes. That's right. All right, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to jump straight into uh, a tune by Satoshi Tomi called Paranoise. Actually, I think Satoshi Tomi may have done the remix on this. Um, I'm going to jump right to it right now. This song, in my opinion, very much captures the, the the move by this time to the dark and dirty tech tech house. It, it's it's gone from that progressive house feel that we talked mm. about in 1999 with Bedrock to a more of a of a of a tech house feel now. I mean, you've still got some some musical some musical things happening here. But it's a lot more percussive based. And driving. Yes. Man, that... What is it? A timpani almost sounded? That That drum is so... Yes. Now what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to move further into this song because um, the next tune is called Mind to Give by Fotech and shit gets really, really dark at this point. Okay. And this is probably my favorite, this is one of my favorite parts of the whole of the whole album. The Really the next, let's see, one, two, three songs, including this one, so let's say four song, four song piece here. Oh, that's so good. It's that airy, sinister sound that's just lurking right behind everything and then it's really just going to come out once the next tune fully reveals itself. 
this little vocal sample that he does here um, is definitely not part of the tracks themselves because I, I own on vinyl and MP3 both of these songs, and this is not part of it. This is something, little little something something that he did <laughs> himself, and I think it works great. It's also interesting that you can't understand what she's saying until a specific point, and it and just the way that it comes out, it just it just works. creepy. Now this this kind of sound right here, and I've talked about this with the guys on the show a couple of times. Today's techno has kind of taken this sound under its wing. Like this, you could play this in an Adam Bayer set or some like drum coat stuff. It's got the same kind of weird ping pong echo delay sounds in it. It's got that really dark bass line. About the only thing that's different is the like with the drum coat stuff, the kick is is a mile long. It's but it's still a strong kick and it's just, it's that same feel. Right. But you can't call it the same thing, you just gotta call it techno. Right. But it's it's there, it's coming back. Well, Nicole Modaber, same thing. Um, you know, at the, at, at the Revive stuff that we did, this is the kind of stuff that I played. Yeah. And, and that's because I felt like it, it, it was relevant, it was still relevant, you know, it could, uh, it could, it, it had a place. It, it had something. It had something to say. Um, where where everything is now with with techno, you, basically, just repeating what you said. It it, it works. It fits. Yeah. You can make it work. You can you know fit it in there. Like the production value is different, but only slightly. I mean, the mixes sound different, but the the music is very much the same. Yeah. In a good way. In all the best ways. The next song that I want to point out here is actually from disc two, so I'm going to back this one out. This is another really dark tune that actually goes that goes into a a trancey tune, trancey um, at the time by Way Out West. Oh yeah, Nick Warren. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what I did. Is is I actually I, I, I made a mix um, a few years back and uh, worked two of these tunes. 
from this disc into that mix and reverse the order that they were mixed. So it was actually way out oh. west tune mixes into the John Graham tune quiver uh, called One Last Time. So I'm going to play the end of the way out west cut into uh, quivers one last time. Okay. So it's trancy, but it's it's dark. Yeah. It's definitely dark, you know. That that little trancy arpeggio is so end of the '90s Matrix. You know what I mean? Like it's yes, it, and I mean that in the best way. Oh, I know. I, I love know. it. I mean, as, as far as I'm concerned, I never left. I never left. <laughs> I'm still there, so it works for me. This tune coming up um, is probably one of, if not my most favorite, John John Graham tune. It's called "One Last Time." And it's extremely unique in that I've never heard anything else like this. Um, it's got a couple different distinct uh, movements, if you will, okay. in the tune itself. But other than that, I don't know what terms I would use to describe it. I mean, it definitely sticks with, uh, it fits perfectly in this mix. Let's put it that way. It's dark, it's sinister. save us here a couple seconds. Sure. You got that little ethereal effect in the background. This is what I would call the first movement. Okay. Okay. This is pretty, uh, pretty straightforward stuff. Driving, uh, driving rhythms here. And then things start to change a little bit. This actually reminds me of a moon face tune. If anyone's familiar, um, moon face, around this era produced some really, really, really dark stuff. And here's the changeover. Oh, wow. Wow, that's really neat. Yeah. Like, it's, it's definitely the same song, yeah. but... It, it's like you went... Oh, hold on, I got something else. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, okay, we're going to bring this to a halt, and we're just going to, now we're going to shift gears. I mean, it's really, it's really what it is. And then they bring out some sound effects. It's almost like a, it brings to mind the image of like a bullet train ride. Yeah, you know? yeah. The break. Right back to it. 
It's the the influence of the rave uh-huh. is obvious, and it, it I think it's hard to describe, and and even I'm getting to to that point in my quote unquote DJ career or or in life or whatever where I can recognize like okay the the festival thing that quote unquote the kids today are doing that's all fun and good in its own way but it's it's something different than this yeah. you know the the intent was different the mood was different the music was different you know everybody's dancing to a repetitive beat but you, the festivals aren't tr- this, this yeah i mean the the festivals aren't trying to grab you and hypnotize you in this way right. and and catch you in that tra- even if you're not playing trance just the thought of catching you in that trance and, right. and getting you stuck in that loop of I'm going to dance to this no, forever. This, you is, know? This, is, this is a dark warehouse. This is yeah. not right. a beach festival. Yeah, there's just no way. What What is interesting, though, um, is Digweed comes out of this into one of the biggest tunes of the era. And I mean, I mean, this is... Uh, um, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't necessarily call it trance, but but it's a it's a big big floor tune. It's a it's a it's a prime time it's a prime time banger. I'm gonna move it up here just a little bit. By one half of the perception duo, cast and slide, this mm. is cast with Genesis. Okay. Just like that, we're out of the dark hallways of a dirty warehouse and big nightclub floor. <laughs> At least that's how I envision it. You know, one thing that seems to be a recurring theme with a lot of the stuff, you know, you talk about the, the laser sharp mixing and stuff, but I, I think what really is making a lot of this work is the fact that they're harmonic mixes and there's so much attention put into that because there's this isn't like playing minimal techno where you can kind of play whatever you want on top of whatever you want uh, within reason like there's a lot going on here in the same vein as the trance and stuff that most people are familiar with so you have to make sure that those tracks see eye to eye and key is part of that it is um and the other part of it too is that you know the artists during this time i mean they knew they knew what they were doing when they created these tunes as far as building um intros and outros the structure yeah they they gave you plenty of real estate to work with to make a transition work yeah because i mean harmonically this song and the last song couldn't be any more different yeah okay but if you listen if i and i'm not going to go back but if you were to listen to the transition out of the quiver tune into this one, I mean, it, there's there's almost no melody at all. It, it, <laughs> it's, it's all uh, it's all percussion and sound effects. But I mean, this and this is big, airy, right. lifting. Like I said, <laughs> big floor, um, peak hour stuff. But, I, you know, and I think that just, again, it, it's why Digweed is who he is and is is regarded as one of the best. And certainly at this time, you know, I feel was just at, at, at the top. He was, he was definitely at the top echelon. 
Um, because only he could create this mix and it was it would be so dark and so dirty and, and so sinister and then you know uh, by the seventh or eighth tune the sun comes through the clouds yeah you know the beam the, the, the clouds break and and now you have this that's a good way to put it yeah. I like that It still has a dark undertone, though. It, it, does. it doesn't go away. No, I mean, there, which there, is kind of what's fascinating about there's it. There's certainly a, a pervasive element here throughout all the tunes that he selects for for this stuff. Um, you know, it's got to have that certain something. You know, none of these tunes are. I'm gonna back this out here. They all fit. But that's really it, as as far as the you know the 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 three albums of that era for me, as you know, as just one person. Um, I, I think that's a those are great examples because you've you've covered the the houseier side and the trancier side of the same spectrum, mm -hmm. and how they related and how they worked together, but yet what was distinctly different about them, you know, going from compare that to the first track we listened to Raph and Freddie listen there were very different songs but there are reasons that those work right. in the in the same set you know right. yep. the the production values and stuff there, there's something about that I don't know if it's the analog instruments or the the mixing methods of the time or what the songs sound different even if their structure is the same as some modern techno and, and stuff like that mm -hmm. I, I wonder how you get that is it or is it really just analog recording is it you know what what is it that's different is it is it too clinical now do you think uh, gosh i don't know you know because i'm not a producer because mm. i because I've, I've never produced a song and and so i don't have the technical terminology i think to you know sound super intelligent <laughs> talking about that stuff um but the I know that there was a push in the mid 2000s for minimal. It was almost like a backlash to mm. the progressive trance and, and the crazy over the top cheesiness that a lot of that stuff did. Um, but I always found that it, I, I never understood why Digweed and and a lot of these guys went that way and, and mm. why this genre of music in particular moved into stuff that was so minimal and then ultimately now um, you know, the stuff that these guys do, like I said, it, it, it you know, on a, on a big sound system, I mean, I guess it could be dancey, but it has none of this stuff. It, it mm. has none of this, uh, organic feel to it. in in my opinion, I mean, you know, I, I know that's kind of dismissive thing, you know, to say, and, and, and maybe close minded, but I, I just, I, I've, I've attempted to listen to it so many times. I was going to say, have you, have you found any artists, labels, um, DJs, anything that is maybe doesn't replace or isn't exactly the same, but that gives you the the same feels. <laughs> um, as far as a DJ, um, Ruben Durand, he does a uh, weekly uh, radio show called The Sound of Holland, and it's interesting. Is that the one you were telling me about yes. the other day? Okay. Yes, it's interesting because he is partners with Armin Van Buren, and they work together on a state of trance. Of course, that that's its whole own thing. You know, not. Not at all related to this. Um, but Ruben really likes the uh, progressive stuff. And, and, and 
he showcases and a lot of this stuff uh, what artists are doing and i mean it's 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 more melodic it doesn't get as dark as what we just listened to it it harkens back more to the 99 2000 um the first two mixes that we listened to as far as uh the the musicality to it and okay i love listening to it you know um i haven't sat down and studied it long enough to really pull out specific artists mm. and tunes um these days you know with what the the business and everything like that i'm just i just always have it going on in the background sure. and 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 don't pay enough you're not picking them apart like no, you did back then unfortunately <laughs> no no but that i would say that is the closest thing to okay. to this stuff well i'm going to take your word for it and, and give that a listen because uh you know like i said at the beginning you've whether you've known it or not, and I'm sure you've had some idea, but you've had a, a huge influence on, on everything that I do, the kind of music that I'm into, and what I do as a DJ. So uh, all I can say is thanks, man. Hey, I, no I problem. It. Thanks for having me on here. And thanks for uh, the record collection for, <laughs> for now. We keep saying for now. It's still here. I know. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't think you have to worry. Um, can you pick out a track for us to uh, outro with? Sure. Well, uh, I mean, we referenced it multiple times here, so I think it's only appropriate that uh, we throw on some Heaven Sent. So let Perfect. me find that here. What's interesting is is that that song was both the uh, the final the final song on disc two of Bedrock and the final song on disc two of Sasha's uh, uh, Ibiza mix. All right, this is Heaven Sent by, is it released under Digweed or Bedrock? It's under Bedrock. The name Bedrock. Yes. Okay. This is Bedrock, Heaven Sent, and uh, thanks a lot for finally coming on the show, buddy. Hey, no problem. This has been the Passionate DJ Podcast. Ciao. DJ Podcast. There are a number of ways that you can follow us. Hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash passionate DJ, Instagram at passionate DJ, Twitter at DJ with passion. Also join the VIP list by going to passionatedj.com and putting your email address in and I will send you exclusive emails, tips, tricks, and stories. See you next week.